the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to SoCal Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host, and I'm Scott Furrow, not Iscariot. If you get the biblical reference there, the Holy Week reference, you know there was two Judases in the Twelve. And uh, one of them, uh, John refers to him in John chapter fourteen twenty two as Judas, not Iscariot, which you have to realize that uh, if your name was Judas after Judas betrayed Jesus and you happen to be named Judas, uh, that was kind of hard to live with. You had to go around and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Judas, not Iscariot. I'm not that one. Uh, think about that. For the rest of that guy's life, he had to describe himself that way. Hi, I'm Judas, not Iscariot. Maybe you've heard the other Judas. He died. Uh, well, I'm not that Judas. You know what? Just call me Jude. That's what he was going to do. I think that line is funny. Judas, not Iscariot. That had to be his name. What if he had a kid? He like he already had Judas Jr., who then has to be Judas, not Iscariot Jr. Iscariot Jr. Is that his name, like for his whole life? It, it must be, right? Your whole rest of your life, you got to say, I'm not that one. No, I'm not that one. You know the story. It's an X. Anyway, welcome to Southern California Live. We are talking about Holy Week because it is. You got Easter plans? Let me encourage you just for a second here. Go to church. If you haven't been in a church, maybe you got out of the habit. This is a great time to go to church. It's Easter, but I want you to think about something. You're going to go to church. You're going to find some church. It's going to be packed, lots of people. And some churches, they put on a big show on Easter Easter Sunday that isn't the usual show. So don't go thinking this is what it's always like. Some churches, that's the same thing every week. But a lot of churches, you know, you bring in some extra people. You you put out your, your best foot because you know people are going. And uh, just be aware of that because you're not going for the show. You're going because you want to be encouraged in your faith. We are told over and over again in the Bible that we need to go to church, be a part of a local body of Christ, be committed to it. So I want to encourage you to go and uh, and connect with a church in your area that teaches that Jesus Christ rose again from the grave, that teaches that the Bible is true. Do that. Uh, make a commitment to do If you're just saying, ah, I'm tired of it, or maybe I've been hurt before, and I know, I know that some of you have. All of us have been once in a while wounded because we expect better from church, and then church turns into something that's rough, and uh, we forget that church is full of sinners and people who are involved. It's not Jesus who's hurting you. It's the people who are hurting you, uh, sometimes in the name of Jesus, sometimes in the, with the purpose of, of helping you. Sometimes that doesn't come across very well. Uh, go to church. If you need help finding a, a church, email me at SoCalLive at KKLA.com, and I'll send you some, some references. But find a church nearby in your neighborhood that loves Jesus and that worships him, and then go the week after Easter also. That's where you find out what it's really like and uh, connect. Connect with people. Connect into fellowship. Do not be alone. We are told as the day approaches, the judgment day, we've got to be with with other believers. 888-LA-TALKS is our phone number, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. You can also email SoCalLive at kkla.com. All right, so uh, it's Holy Week, and I wanted to spend a little time talking about Monday Thursday and what it means, and challenge you, as Holy Week should, 
that if you get into this week, it's a, it's a time of refocusing. Every, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday we should get together and realize that, that we live in the time of resurrection, that Christianity is founded on the, the resurrection. Without the resurrection, there's no Christianity. Without the resurrection, it's just some, some great stories and, and some really good advice. And uh, you could even say, you might argue that it's the best, but it doesn't, it's not true if there was no resurrection. You know that you can find the grave of religious founders all around the world. And if you can't find the grave, you can find the story of what happened to their Bible that, or their, uh, their body that was credible. They were buried at sea. Some people were, or they were cremated and ashes scattered somewhere. There's always a story. With Jesus, there's an interesting problem, and the problem is, is that people do not agree on where Jesus was buried. Do you know that? If you go to Israel, there's, there is a shrine over what might be Jesus's actual tomb, might actually be where he was buried, but they don't really know. And you'll find out that down the street is the garden tomb, and there is a tomb that looks a little bit more like the pictures we see. And, and some people are saying, no, this is where Jesus was buried. And you can buy tickets, and you can go in and see it. And there's a third one saying, no, 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 this is where he was buried. You know why we don't know? We don't know because nobody marks a grave where there is no body in it. You don't. Uh, and so they lost track of it. They haven't lost track of any other world religious founders. We know where they're buried. You can go see it. You can go read the story and people don't question it. Jesus, they question it because nobody knows because he came up because his body's not in there. You don't mark a grave where there's no body in there. And, you know, have faith. This story is real. Jesus rose from the grave, defeating death. The thing that you are the most afraid of, the thing that you will spend more money than at any time of your life in your healthcare dollars, the last few weeks of your life, most likely, just to push it off a few more days because we fear it so much. This is the story of Jesus Christ. He defeated death. Death is the enemy. Don't let anybody just tell you it's a part of life. You know, Academically, you can go down that road fine. Everybody's going to die, but it's the enemy. Death robs you of your parents, your grandparents, and tragedy, your kids and friends, and tragedy and war and pestilence. But, you know, it is, don't, don't think for a minute death is not the enemy, but also don't think for a minute that death has not been defeated by Christ. This is Easter, that he rose from the grave. He, it's not his ideas that rose from the grave. It isn't that people said, you know, that guy was a great teacher. And uh, we should go out and teach what he taught. It isn't that the disciples got together and said, wouldn't it be great if Jesus was here? And somebody said, you know, he is here with us in spirit. And they had some kind of kumbaya and then went out and said, uh, oh, yeah, he told us to love our enemies. And he told us uh, to do this and that and that. What a, great, what a great God. That's not what Peter preached in the book of Acts. When Peter got together, you know what he did? He preached to them and he said, you killed the Messiah. You, you people killed him. You did this and you need to repent. And that is what he preached. And you know what they did? And they responded because so many people in that audience, they saw Jesus walking around. They know whether or not he rose again from the grave because they saw him. And it's not like somebody who saw Elvis at the gas station and one guy's telling a story, you know. 500 people at a time saw Jesus once. A group of disciples saw him at the same time. They all went into ministry in different parts of the world with something that they knew for a fact was either true or false, the resurrection of Christ. And they all kept that until their death. Most of them 
died as martyrs, except for John, most people believe. It's an incredible, incredible thing. And they were able to keep some things straight. And it was hard. It was hard for the early church. Don't get too down on your church if you get off track, if you start to lose focus, if you're off mission. That was happening to the early church. That was happening to people who did see them because we're people and we, we sometimes, uh, you know, like our little kingdoms. And it's, it's a struggle to put God's kingdom ahead of our own. That's always been a struggle. That's the, the human sinful fallen condition. But do not give up. God has not given up on you. And Jesus' plan is going to come to fruition. Monday Thursday means mandate Thursday. This is the mandate that we have from Jesus Christ. You know what the mandate is? It's to love other people as he loved us. That's the mandate, that we should love other people as he has loved us. That's what today should be about in our thinking. That's what today is meant to be. That's why it's Monday Thursday. You want to join our conversation, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Uh, Linda from Los Angeles, welcome to Southern California Live. Hi. Hi, Linda. Hi. Hi. Um, I, wa- I wanted to ask you, uh, and maybe I misunderstood you, about when you were talking about the sovereignty of God, which I truly believe. In the last uh, hour. Putting, yeah putting Obama and Trump and all those that were in office. But I wanted to ask you, and this is where I maybe misunderstood you, do you believe that everything that happens on our earth is God's will? Do I believe that everything that happens on our earth is God's will? I think that there there is nothing that happens that somehow thwarts God's plan, okay? Certainly it's not God's will that we sin, meaning that that's not what he wants. God right. wants, and God, and uh, I'll explain that a little bit. It, it bothers people a little bit, but I say it a lot, because biblically, and when we're talking about our political leaders, and this will get into what we're going to talk about with Monday Thursday here in a minute. In fact, uh, thank you for your call, uh, Linda. I appreciate that. Um, the, a verse that I, I have quoted, and I quoted this in, on social media, in uh, 2012, after, after President Obama was reelected, I put on my social media, Daniel 4.17, 4, great passage in Daniel. If you want to see God's um, involvement in the world and in politics and the kingdoms of this earth, you see this great story of Nebuchadnezzar, who uh, God shows that God's in charge. This is a pagan king, okay? And by the time he gets to it, Daniel interprets a dream that Nebuchadnezzar has, and this is part of that interpretation. He says, the decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict. Okay, this is the verdict. This is what is true about God and government. So that the living may know, that's us, we're the living. Okay, there's been a whole lot of living people since then. Everybody who has been alive is included in that at one point. But for right now, for us, so that the living may know, that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of people. And so I put that on there because I thought, well, there's people who are disappointed in this election and uh, they need to know, you know what, God's in charge. And then when President Trump got elected, I put the same thing. And then I heard, and people got mad at me in 2012. I got all kinds of, hey, what are you saying? And then I, when Trump got elected, I put the same thing on social media and the other side got mad at me. Well, how can God do this to us and this and that? And so in this last election, I put that on there before the election was over. And I'll probably do that this year. It's like, I don't want to get yelled at. I want people to know 
that scripturally God is, God is not looking down and saying, how did Biden become president? That wasn't supposed to happen. He's not looking down going, you know what, how in the world did we elect Trump? Wasn't he the guy on that uh, show, The Apprentice? How did he become president? God isn't confused by what's happening. And we're told in the New Testament to pray for our leaders repeatedly, to pray for kings and all those in authority. It doesn't mean, and this is where I think people get you know, confused. It doesn't mean that we pray that they are successful even in their ungodly policies. When we say we're going to pray for President Biden, or we say we're going to pray for President Trump when he was president, or we pray for Governor Gavin Newsom, we're doing so, number one, out of obedience to God. But number two, we're not doing so so that they are successful with policies or or whatever that isn't godly. We're praying for them so that they will change the policies if they're not godly. We're praying for them so that they would have the right policies that fit the reality of this world. So, for example, right now you ought to be praying for President Biden because of this war in Europe that people worry is going to expand, become World War III. It could be just a, a, a global catastrophe well beyond what it already is. And whether you like it or not, whether you voted for him or not, whether or not he's there legitimately or not, or all the things people say, he's the guy who's there. He's the guy who's there, and we need to pray that right now, Joe Biden is the best president possible. Our whole country, the whole world needs that to be true. And you can pray that he doesn't get reelected. God sent us somebody even better in 2024. That's okay. But you're not praying that Joe Biden is successful in policies that are bad. You pray that he will change his mind if the policy is bad, or you pray that he will persevere if the policy is good. Mostly you pray that he will turn to God for his wisdom. And the same thing with any leaders. I hope that makes sense with that. And, you know, we're in a culture that says, oh, I'm not going to pray for him. He's not my president. We've been doing that since George W. Bush, I think at least, after that Bush-Gore fiasco. And some people started saying, well, Bush isn't my president. And then when Obama got elected, people said, oh, he's not my president. And then Trump got elected. Oh, he's not my president. And the other side, Biden, he's not my. Yes, he is. He is your president. And scripturally, God put him there. He may not have put him there for the policies, but you know, what God is doing is he's bringing about his kingdom. And this is the reason it's relevant right now is that this is what's happening during the Holy Week, is that people reject Christ because he didn't fulfill what they thought politically he should fulfill. And Christian, we got into this a little bit in the last hour, but I got to tell you, it's fine to get behind candidates and to be involved. You should be involved in our system, but it's not fine to be unchristian. And we need to hold our side, whatever our side is, accountable when they are doing evil, when they do wrong. You know, imagine what happens when Republicans hold Republicans accountable and when Democrats hold Democrats accountable. Instead, what we have become as a nation, and Christians participate in this a lot, is that we excuse it if it's on our side, right? And, uh, you know, we saw this a lot with uh, Bill Clinton when he had the stuff going on with the uh, intern and stuff. And some of the same people who rightly were critical of him during that were not critical when Donald Trump had similar things happen in his life, similar attitudes about things. And conversely, there were people who were critical of Donald Trump in that area of his life when they weren't critical of, of Bill Clinton when that was going on. And you can find those kinds of hypocrisies on all sides, and Christians can't be that. That's where I'm getting at. You can you can add to this conversation if you like, 888-528-2557. That's the number. Let me get into a little bit of the politics of Maundy Thursday and what's going on. Uh, a lot happened on Maundy Thursday. Peter and John arranged for them to use the upper room. Peter and John, along with some other disciples, they probably went to Costco, got some stuff. Peter probably bought a vat of 
of hummus that he shouldn't have bought, but the sample lady was nice. They, I know they didn't have a Costco, but they must have had a huge market. Everybody's coming to town and people are selling stuff. And for sure, they had sample ladies. It's not, it's, it's, maybe we don't think of the past this way, but we should. There was an article recently that said that Ridley Scott in the movie Gladiator took out from this, if you remember that movie, if you saw it, they had a, a digital representation of the city of Rome, the ancient city of Rome. And it was magnificent what they were able to, to do in that film. But he took out certain things that they thought modern audiences couldn't handle, such as billboards, that in real life, ancient Rome, they had billboards to advertise different gladiators, different events, different companies, different things going on, just like we have today. Uh, you know, they didn't have, uh, you know, they didn't have, they would, they would have bus benches that might've been for, you know, chariots or something, but there might've been some realtor on there saying, I'll sell you the property. They, they did it just like we did now. There's a weird thing that our brains do is it's hard for us to imagine ancient cultures as actually being a lot more modern than they were, but they were. So they took that out of the movie. Peter and John, the disciples, they went shopping somewhere. They were probably sample ladies. They had a regular day. And then they get this Passover meal together. And then the story really starts to get moving, right? Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Jesus announces that Judas is going to betray him, tells him to go. And he announces that Peter would deny him. Peter says, nah, and then later Peter does. Jesus prays for unity of his followers, including us today. John 17, that's such a great prayer, Jesus praying for you. Do you know he prayed for you? He went to the Mount of Olives. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's betrayed by Judas. Peter cuts off the ear of the high priest servant, Malchus. Peter cut it off with a sword. Just think that's a weird story. I'm going to tell you in a minute, maybe why Peter did that. That's always, I've always thought that's just such an odd thing. Why did Peter do that? You know, you're surrounded by people. He's not really in a good situation. And he lashes out at this guy and cuts off his ear. I think we know his name is Malchus. The New Testament tells us his name. I think that's because we're going to meet him. You got to think if you're Malchus and your ear just got cut off and Jesus, the guy you're there to arrest, picks it up off the ground, probably dusts off some dirt, and then sticks it back on your head and heals you. Uh, You probably didn't sleep well for a few days, right? You probably were blown away at this. You questioned everything in your reality if you're Malchus. And I'll bet you if you're Malchus, you're one of the first people to accept that Jesus Christ was the Savior. That's just my, my opinion. I think that's why we know his name. I think we'll be able to ask him one day. I think Peter and Malchus will be hanging out, probably joking about ears falling off or something. Monday, Thursday, Jesus was taken before the high priest, Annas and Caiaphas. He was denied by Peter. He was taken to Pilate. A lot going on on this day, on Holy Week. A lot of politics, a lot of religious evil, and there were lots of different kinds of people that we read about in history in the New Testament. And I think it's relevant for today. Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, and Zealots. You ever hear about these people? They're like political party people. And uh, here's, here's some things that they believed, all right? The, what they all believed basically was this. And when you're reading your Bible, you hear mostly about the Pharisees. You hear some about the Sadducees uh, and very little about the other ones, but they're in there. Uh, the Pharisees, they wanted to bring about change politically. Every one of these groups was looking for political change. Every one of these groups was looking for uh, the, the redemption of Israel, the, the ransom of Israel, that Israel would no longer be held captive by a foreign empire. Right now they're under the Roman Empire. Before that, the Greeks. Before that, the Persians. Before that, the Babylonians. They've been under, under oppression now by empires for centuries. And the part of what the Messiah is going to do is relieve them and ransom captive Israel like we sing at Christmas. 
the thing is, is that all of these guys got it wrong as far as the timing of that. They missed the part that Jesus is going to have to come, that the Messiah would come and be pierced for their transgressions. They missed the spiritual everlasting life, the defeat of death that would happen first. Yeah, Jesus comes again at the end and uh, and finishes all of his pro- his promises to Israel, fulfills all of them. They thought a lot of that was going to happen, and they thought it was going to be in different ways. So the Pharisees, all of, the, all of these groups, what they felt politically was that the Messiah was going to be on their side, that whenever the Messiah showed up, well, of course, he's going to be on our side. Okay, so the Pharisees, they wanted to bring about change politically. They thought they could legislate morality and have enough laws and enough systems to make things right. That's what they did. And they believed that when the nation got righteous in their actions, when people finally got moral, when they finally got their attitude right within the law, of course, they disagreed on what the law would be. They had tons of laws and different rabbis and different Pharisees who taught some different things. But they thought that that their approach to this, that the Messiah would come and be on their side, because clearly the Messiah is going to be on the rule keeper's side. The Messiah is going to come with the people who are the most moral, the closest to the the law of Moses, the people who are really trying to do that. Obviously, they would think he's going to be on our side. The other groups thought something different. When we get back from the break, I'm going to tell you what the other groups were thinking, because they all thought that Jesus should have been on their side. They thought the Messiah, when he comes, would be on their side. And you're going to see why they all ultimately rejected him. And that's a huge part of the story today. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. We'll be back in just a moment with the Monday, Thursday edition of SoCal Live. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Southern California Live on this great Monday, Thursday afternoon, Mandate Thursday. The mandate is to love others the way Jesus loved us. That is what today is about. Is that how we? Is that how we're doing it? Are we doing a good job? Is that as Christians? Are we washing the feet even of those who are, who would betray us, of those who would deny us, of those who don't love us? Do we love people the way Jesus did? That we'd sacrifice ourselves even for those who uh, don't like us very much. I think we can learn a lot from Holy Week when we get into it and the things that Jesus did on this week. Eight eight eight. Five two eight two five five seven is the number if you want to chime in on the conversation. Eight 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 L A Talks, triple eight five two eight two five five seven. You can also email me at SoCalLive at kkla dot com. Before the break, we were talking about the different groups and the politics of them, and you've heard of most of these groups: Pharisees and Sadducees and Essenes and Zealots. Um, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the Zealots. You read about them in the New Testament. The Essenes. We probably read about somebody, although it doesn't say Essenes. We'll get to that in a second. But we know about them because of the Dead Sea Scrolls and some other things. And I think it's important that we see that during the time of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, there is a lot of political upheaval. There is a lot of disappointment in Jesus from people who were waving palm branches just a few days before. Each one of these groups had an expectation. Each one of these groups thought that Jesus was going to be on their side. Whenever the Messiah came to town, that the Messiah was going to be on their side and the Messiah was going to come and fulfill their their political desires, which were good desires to get out from under the thumb of the empire, the Roman Empire at the time. And these groups had formed and they believed different things. The Pharisees, before we went to break, they wanted to bring about change politically. They thought they could legislate morality. They thought that they could bring laws about morality and have people just to obey 
the the words of God, the law of Moses, and they had different groups and different systems to try to make that right. And they believed that when the nation of Israel got righteous, according to their standards, then the Messiah would come and the Messiah would be on their, sh- on their side of things, obviously, and then usher in change. So they had tons of laws to try to make this happen. And they got upset at Jesus because he didn't agree with all of those laws or even that approach. Now, there's an entirely different group of people you hear about in the New Testament, the Sadducees. They were very different in their thinking. The Sadducees were the most sophisticated and educated of the culture. At least that's what they would tell you about themselves. They didn't believe in an afterlife or resurrection at all, but what they did believe was that there was some kind of societal utopia in God's plan, that there was some way that society could bring about a utopia, and that was God's plan. So what they did was they sought to compromise with the culture. So they rejected views about afterlife and salvation and those kinds of things. They didn't oppose the ruling class so much. Instead, they wanted to join it. They wanted to cozy up to it, to work together with it in order to bring about a better world. That was their idea. And they were constantly engaged in the politics at the time and trying to be accepted by everyone on all sides. And their their biggest conviction was that you should compromise your convictions in order to make peace with people, which is why they would dump the idea of of an afterlife or resurrection. They would dump the idea of um, Jesus being the only way or God being the only God or the Messiah being the only way because they felt that if we hold to those things that are not popular, then uh, people won't like us. And the idea was that when the Messiah does come, he's going to need to negotiate with the Romans and he's going to want to be on our side, they thought, because we have those relationships. We're part of the elite. We know how to fit in. And the Messiah might correct us later on. That's fine. But he's going to be with us because we know how to get this done. We're the elite. That was the Sadducees. There was another group called the Essenes, and we know about them from the Dead Sea Scrolls and other documents. They chose withdrawal. What they said is, we're out. The culture is so bad, there's going to be no changing it. We're gone. And they literally lived out in the wilderness. They stayed out of the political process. They stayed out of the culture as much as possible. And they thought that the Messiah would be on their side because they clearly must be right. Obviously, the culture is a disaster. The religious culture is a disaster. The organized religion is a disaster. The Romans are pagans. The Greeks were pagans. Everybody's wrong but us, and they're just out. Now, in the New Testament, there is one guy who most people think wasn't a scene, and his name was John. And the belief is, is that he left that group, that he left that group while he was still living in the hills eating locusts and wild honey. And he left that group because he was the one who was called to introduce the Savior. That John would come out from this group. You ever wonder why John the Baptist was out in the, in the woods eating locusts and honey like some crazy guy? Well, he probably wasn't that crazy. He was part of this group. This is scene. They chose withdrawal. You know, I always picture John as this wild-eyed crazy man living in, you know, behind a rock somewhere. But he lived in caves and he lived in a culture and society but he came out and he dumped that view to get involved. When it was time to introduce the Savior, not from a political point of view or the Essenes point of view or any other group, but of the kingdom of God, he came out and said, how should we respond, repent, and be baptized for the kingdom of God is at hand? He was probably an Essene. He's the one who, who came out and got it right. There was another group, the Zealots. You do read about them in the New Testament. The Zealots were the extremists. They were the opposite of the Essenes. And they would... Their belief was that they would bring about political change by any means necessary. And what they were known for is being violent at times, that they would 
go into a crowd of people, for example, and they would find a Roman soldier and then they'd stab him in the head or the throat and then they would run into the crowd and try to dis- disappear. And it would cause, you know, chaos, just like what happened in New York yesterday, right, where you have the, the guy who got arrested for that is being charged with terrorism because he created – it was a terrorist act. He created mayhem, fear, all this stuff. And that is what, you know, the that type of thinker thinks they're going to accomplish. They think that they're going to accomplish something out of it. That's kind of what the zealots were like. And any hope of change they thought was going to be fought violently, so they're just going to be ready. That's what they believed. They figured that the Messiah would also be on their side because they were the most dedicated, because they were the zealots. They were the most committed. You got to be committed to do that. You got to be committed to risking your own crucifixion, right, your own Roman torture and punishment by doing this stuff. One of the 12 disciples was Simon the Zealot. This is this guy. We don't know much about him, but there are some scholars who think that Jesus picked Simon the Zealot, called Simon the Zealot to follow him because he also called out Matthew to follow him. Matthew was a Roman employee. Matthew is the guy who's on the other end of the spectrum from where Simon the Zealot is. Matthew's the guy who might get stabbed by Simon the Zealot. And Jesus called them both to come together, showing that all people could come to the Savior. He wasn't bringing them together to say, you guys just need to compromise and get along. He brought them together to change them, to invite them to repent. And as we talked about before the break, some people think that Simon Peter was influenced by the Zealot Party, which is why he cut off the Roman soldier's ear. You ever wonder why? Why did Peter do that? Well, if he's influenced by the zealot party and he's surrounded by people who are out to get him, they're going to arrest Jesus. Jesus has been betrayed. He's aware of the power struggle that has happened. He's aware of the politics. And Peter's like, I'm going down anyway. I'm going to fight. I'm going to cut off his ear. Maybe he was a bad swordsman. Maybe, you know, maybe he meant to hit him in the head. I don't know. But if you've ever wondered why Peter did this, this is a pretty good explanation. We don't know. We don't know for sure, but probably Peter. And if you know Peter's personality, yeah, zealot, he fits into that, doesn't he? So we see in different ways, the zealots, the Essenes, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees, they they had a different opinion of Jesus, and they all thought Jesus was going to be on their side. Each group thought they were the better Jews, and each group thought the Messiah would be on their side. Question, whose side was Jesus on when he came? And the answer is he wasn't on any of their sides, which is partly what ticked them all off, that Jesus wasn't on any of their sides. We, have to, we don't really have to look pretty hard in our modern times to find parallels with each one of these groups, even within Christianity. Can I just say that? I think as I was reading all of those things, you probably said, oh, I know who these people are. Oh, maybe I'm one of those people. And you probably can go, oh, we got left and right, and we got far left and far right in this group. It's not really hard to do that. And over, over the course of history, The church has fluctuated in each one of these areas. There is a struggle that we have spiritually that when Jesus sits next to us, we somehow think he's going to engage with us intellectually and agree with us, when actually he's probably going to take the conversation to the core of our humanity and true self, and it will lead us to repentance, but it will lead us to the right place. Jesus wasn't a zealot. He didn't stab people. He wasn't in a scene. He didn't hide out in the caves and disengage. No, he was right there in the thick of it. He wasn't a Pharisee. He didn't get caught up in religious function and order and religious rules and sin management and all of those kinds of things. He kept the rules. He kept the rules according to the law correctly. He, he obeyed his father. He obeyed 
the, the law, but he didn't obey sort of man-made rules and different things. He didn't have to. They weren't real. He didn't get involved in that. And he wasn't a Sadducee. He never compromised his morals and values. He never compromises the word of God, ever. He doesn't say, well, that's kind of outdated. You know, Moses was around a long time ago, and uh, that's what they thought back then. But today, we're, we, we think differently. We've modernized. He never said that. Uh, he never compromised his morals or values. See, my friends, Jesus is not on the Republican side or the Democrat side. He's not a liberal or a conservative. He's not on the side of any one social group or philosophy. Jesus is on his own side. That's where he is. That's where he resides. That is a huge message for Monday Thursday. The reason I'm taking the time to do this is I know that that we we have difficulty with this. We all have difficulty. I'm sure that I do. Where there's things that I think Jesus probably totally agrees with me on and and maybe I'm right. Sometimes Jesus did agree with certain teachings of certain rabbis of the day. There were some famous ones. We know what they they believed in. There's one that Jesus, you know, he agreed with that person maybe 70% of the time, but 30% of the time that person was totally wrong. Uh, That's probably right with a lot of us. And certainly it is with some of the things. See what Jesus does, and this is what we have to do today. Church Christians, we have to bring a new politic. The new politic is a politic of good news. See, that's a political term also. Luke 4, 18, Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's, that's really good news. That, and that's a lot deeper than a Pharisee or Sadducee or a person on the right or a person on the left might have said. It's an amazing, amazing thing. Where are you at with this? What do you think that we can do as believers to get on Jesus' side? Do you think that we're more about hoping that Jesus is on our side? Or are we in a place where we're ready to say, Jesus, I want to be on your side no matter what? Tell me what you think. 888-528-2557 is the number. You can join our conversation right there, 888-528-2557. This is Southern California Live, Monday, Thursday edition. I'll be back in just a moment. Stay tuned. It's Southern California Live. Scott Furrow with you today. 888-528-2557 is the number. 888-528-2557. It's Monday, Thursday. And this week we've taken some time to talk about what happens on each day. And I thought I'd do some teaching this hour a little bit because I think it's relevant to a lot of our questions that we even asked in the first hour and that we are dealing with in our country. And to realize that so much of what we learn in Holy Week is people misunderstanding what Jesus was going to do misunderstanding why he came. And people had really good reasons for their political perspective. Some of them had really, you know, they, I think they meant, I don't like the the phrase meant well, because sometimes we use that for people who meant well and they didn't. And we use that as an excuse. But I think that, you know, in people's hearts, it's hard to understand everybody's hearts. Only Jesus knows that. And sometimes we do different things uh, from a standpoint of, we hope this is the right thing. But we can understand so much about our faith, and we can refocus so well. And that's what I think has to happen right now. I think the church in America, especially, but around the world, but in America, has to refocus and realize that we represent the kingdom of God. And all the hope that we put in our our politics, the hope that we put in you know, sort of our 
just who we are as a people, um, it doesn't mean anything if it's not Jesus. And if it's the Lord's plan, the Lord's going to do what he wants. Uh, Richard writes, uh, is America in the Bible? He sent that email. You can email me at SoCalLive at KKLA.com, SoCalLive. Is America in the Bible? Well, the answer is no. We don't see any America in there. And if there's somebody bending things around, you know, I would really challenge you to find where America is in the Bible. Um, but, but I'm going to say something that maybe is a little bit I want to take something that people often say. People will use, you know, Second Chronicles uh, 14, famous verse. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. So people apply that to our country and what we need to do to repent. And there's a debate on there that people say, well, that verse really has everything to do with Israel and Judah. And it does. That is the context of it. Okay, he's not talking about my people. The United States is not the new Israel, in my opinion. Israel is the new Israel. Israel is Israel. Uh, Every time that the Bible refers to Israel, it's talking about Israel. And, you know, is the United States in prophecy? Probably not. It's really hard to, to take a look at Bible prophecy in the end times and go, oh, here's the United States. You know, either we don't exist anymore or... Uh, we don't matter. Maybe we exist, but we're just irrelevant. Um, we could be the bad guy, I suppose. I don't, I don't think so. But, you know, there's there's not a sense that the United States, as we know it today, is playing any particular role. But I would say this. For those who would say that the, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. There are those who would say rightly that the context of that is Judah, is Israel, Old Testament Israel. However, there's an interesting thing that also happens in the Old Testament. You know the story of Jonah, which is a great story. I mean, well beyond the story of the big fish. And I know for some of you, it's just really hard to swallow that story. But uh, we can talk about that another time, and we can get past it. Actually, it's not that complicated when you get into it. But the story is not about Jonah and the fish. The story is actually about our attitude towards people getting saved, because the story is really about Jonah and how he first didn't even want to go to Nineveh to save them. And then when he does go and they repent, he gets mad because it wasn't what he wanted. He, those people, they deserve death. Nineveh was a Nineveh is modern-day Mosul, Iraq. Okay, it's still there. It's just underneath there. Uh, ISIS, when they were doing their thing, ISIS blew up uh, the temple of Sennacherib, and then underneath it they discovered Jonah's tomb, where uh, traditionally people believe, and it might be very true, that that's where Jonah was buried. Certainly the people of Nineveh uh, agreed that Jonah was a real guy, and, and they buried him there. That's probably likely. Maybe Jonah got better lately uh, afterward. But here's the, here's the great thing about that story. God does forgive Nineveh, and it's a pagan nation. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. God does this temporarily for Nineveh, who's not Judah. And he sends a prophet to go to them and say, you people need to repent because a God you don't believe in because Israel's God is real and your gods are fake. This is what Jonah had to go do. And God has surrounded you by your enemies and you're about to get taken out. 
But if you repent of your wicked ways, God will relent. And he does. And so what I would like to say, I think sometimes we get, we, we forget the context of things, but I think that this is true for nations. Now, God is going to do what he's going to, Jesus is going to come, and if the United States is not a part of that, when it happens, we're going to be irrelevant or not here or whatever. That'll be God's plan. Um, you know, Jesus is not going to return to Washington, D.C. and set himself up, you know, on Lincoln's chair in the memorial or something. He was going to return, and his feet are going to land on the Mount of Olives one day, and he's going to set himself up in the temple in Israel. That's what I think. And I think that's what the Bible has to say. I realize there's a couple other views, but I think that's the the general idea. Most people agree with that. But I also think that if we're concerned about our country and we're getting into sort of the, the politics of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and things that we've talked about this hour, if we are concerned about our country, if we went out and we bought a hat that said, make America great again, if, and by the way, it's not Trump who came up with that. Did you know, I've mentioned this before, that that was Hillary's, campaign slogan in 2008 for a while. She changes hers every once in a while, but you can, you, you can go to it. You can have, there's an advertisement for her with, with Bill Clinton narrating it. And he says in the ad, uh, you need to vote for Hillary and make America great again. You know, so don't get too much on that being left and right. I think people have a desire. We want, we're, we're saying make America great again because we have a sense that we're not what we once were. I think that, that we know this in our country. But making America great again isn't going to happen because we elect the right person. It's not going to happen because we get our, our Twitter account right because Elon Musk buys it. Making America great again, whatever that means, is not going to happen because we put our hope in some politician. It's going to happen when we turn around and we put our hope in Jesus again. That's what's going to make America great again when we follow Jesus, when we actually rise up and say, I'm going to love my neighbor as myself when I'm going to love the Lord our God, my heart, soul, mind, and strength, when we become a nation where even if you're not a believer, you say to yourself, you know what, those Christians, though, I do want to hire them because they're not going to steal from me. When we become a nation that says, you know what, I'm going to, you know, I may not be even a believer, but uh, I'm going to vote for that Christian person because I think they're going to be wise I want my daughter to marry that Christian guy because the Christians, you know, they're a little bit square, but he's going to treat her right. Like that should be our reputation as the church. Imagine how how amazing our country will be when we do this. And I'm somebody who thinks, yeah, I can see why we're at the end times and maybe the United States has seen its best days. There's a lot of trouble on the horizon, but you know, we've been there before. I'm also a historian. You know what things are like right now? And it's very scary. It's a lot like the 1850s right now. Uh, we are severely divided. We are divided over significant moral issues, and we're arming ourselves. That's what's happening. And that happened then. And you know what, though? We recovered only after a terrible war, and we still are dealing with some of those sins from back then and the result of those things. But I have a lot of hope for our country. I think maybe Jesus isn't coming back. Maybe right now, maybe there's going to be a great revival. That could be the case. All this, all this insanity and turmoil it might lead to a really difficult era, but it also, and it could be leading to the end times and, and, and all of that, but it also could be leading to revival where people get saved. You know what the will of God is? Somebody asked earlier this hour, what's the will of God? The Bible makes it very clear that the will of God is that all people would be saved. It doesn't say that all people are going to be saved, but this is what God wants. He wants all people to be saved. And the reason Jesus hasn't come back yet 
the Bible is also very clear. Paul tells us in Romans, there's forbearance. He is letting this thing play out as long as possible so that more people have time to get saved, so that people will come to Jesus. And that's why we're here. That's what Easter represents. It's not a Sunday to come and see my church and look at how good our music is and look at the video we did. Wasn't that funny? And isn't our pastor a good communicator? Gosh, I hope you come back next Sunday and I'll see you at Christmas. What Easter is about is that we invite people to hear the story of resurrection, that death is defeated, and then we befriend those people who may not come back to church next week with us, but we still care about them in the workplace. We wash the feet of our enemies. We wash the feet of our friends. We give of ourselves for people because that's what Jesus did for us. That's Monday Thursday. That's what today is about. Can I encourage you to take a look at the, the Thursday story, to take a look at what Jesus does, and make that your example? That's the mandate. That's what today is about. All right, thanks for listening to me with all of that. You can get the podcast by going to kkla.com and looking up um, the program guide. Look for SoCal Live, and the podcast will be up there shortly if you want to get this hour or any hour of the program. Tomorrow we're going to talk about Good Friday, and I uh, hope you'll listen to that. Excited about spending Good Friday with you and this way. And I encourage you to go to our website. A great thing about being an audience together. We all go to different churches, and we have some different traditions, and we're in different cities different parts of all of the Southland. Maybe you were even listening on your online and you're in another state. Great. We're so glad that we can be part of the family of God together. And there are ways that we can gather. Something going on very soon is there's a pastor appreciation breakfast. And uh, if you go to, if you live in the LA area, if you're listening at kkla.com, go there, click on the banner for that. It's on Thursday, May 12th for pastors and for uh, first responders. If you're in the San Diego area, you can go to kprz.com and find it. It's on Wednesday, May 11th. Invite your pastor, your church staff, people to this message. It's a great time of getting together. And I believe God's doing something when the church comes together and realizes that we are one body of Christ and he has placed us here to do great things. If you're worried about your neighbor, you're worried about this country, you're worried about this world, the hope is not a politician or a political point of view. The hope is Jesus Christ alone. He is our hope and we represent him. That's you and me, and we represent him in our different congregations, in our different cities, in our different neighborhoods, our different workplaces, with a small group of people that God has put around us where we are their ambassador. We're here to encourage each other and equip each other and build each other up to do well there. I'm Scott Furrow. This is SoCal Live. Thanks for listening. I will see you tomorrow from 3 to 5 right here. God bless you. We'll see you then. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.